Welcome to the Spiritual Sexual Shamanic Podcast. Exploring sacred sexuality, activating life force, and empower transformation. These intimate conversations take you under the sheets with faculty from ISTA, the International School of Temple Arts. Welcome everyone. Today I have a very, very exciting guest. It is one of ISTA's top lead facilitators, Kamala Devi. So Kamala Devi McClure, aka KD, just the letters if it's a mouthful to say Kamala Devi, uh, the pronouns are they and them, is a pansexual, genderqueer, tantric mentor, speaker, and author of seven books. They've been navigating a polyamorous marriage in San Diego for almost 20 years with their husband and family who appeared in Showtime's hit docuseries, Polyamory, Married, and Dating. They've also appeared on Dr. Drew, Ricky Lake, Tyra Banks, and the award-winning documentary, Sex Magic. Kamala Devi travels around the world teaching sexual shamanism as a lead facilitator for ISTA, the International School of Temple Arts, and touring two new books, Sex Shamans and 52 Fridays, a polyamorous, queer, kinky love story. They are also the creator of Tantra Theater and Polypalooza. Kamala Devi's mission is to awaken artists, healers and visionaries to become love leaders around the world. And if you'd love to learn more, just go to www.kamaladevi, K-A-M-A-L-A, Devi.com. Welcome, KD. So excited to have this conversation with you. Just so you know, um, we sourced questions from the ISTA community and there was an, an outpour of questions for you. And I also know that we have some really juicy topic lined up to go really deep into today. So if we can get to the questions at the end, um, I will do some like quick fire questions at the end. Sounds so, fun. Great. So welcome. And it's so exciting to have you here. And when we talked about this episode together, we thought about going really deep into inner marriage. So tell yes. us about that. Well, the inner marriage is a holding of paradox. It's a bringing together of polarities. And so most people have, you know, when they think of marriage, it's, <laughs> it's now being expanded from one man, one woman, which is really nice that culturally that's, you know, beyond just the binary, but um, the, the inner marriage is not external meeting, but um, as Rumi says, uh, lovers don't finally meet each other. They've been within each other all along. So finding the, uh, not just feminine and masculine and bringing it together, those poles, but I, I like to think of it as also the meeting of the animal with God and the wounded with the healed one. So it's a, a type of a mm, embracing of our wholeness. Mm, so good. So many directions it can go in. Yes. So in holding the paradox and the polarity, like what, what would be in your experience, like the felt sense in your body when that, when you're experiencing that? I'm glad you're asking because a lot of people think, oh, conceptually, I understand there's masculine and feminine qualities. And then they have this big conceptual like sense, but it is an embodied experience. It has to go all the way up, all the way down to be a true marriage. And 
the physiological experience is one of aliveness. So it's almost, here's a, here's another paradox itself or contradiction because people, uh, when they imagine wholeness, there's a, a contentment. And I honestly used to think being the kind of broken drama queen that I was, <laughs> that um, inner peace was boring. I was like, oh, who wants peace? <laughs> when you could have passion and you could have creativity and you can have all these other qualities. I'm like, fuck that. Peace just sounds like a, you know, like a low bar or something. <laughs> and as I've come through the various initiations, um, this... <laughs> practice of inner marriage has led me more and more to a fullness and an aliveness. And it is a contentment because it's a meeting of that which you're longing for, right? So we all have this unfulfilled longing, yearning, wanting for more. And then as you deepen the inner marriage, those, those longings get fulfilled within and without, you know, the more we, we know this in law of attraction, the more we fill up from inside, the more the universe reflects to exactly that back to us. And so we are fulfilled in our longing and that's the opposite of boring. <laughs> it's actually more alive and rich. And um, I find it very, uh, you know, it can be very playful to come into contact with your own energies. Yes. Yes. I'm really getting this. And you know, what I experience in this doing a lot of these practices that are taught or shared with ISTA through the transmissions is there's a huge gap between the lived spiritual awakening and experience and the gap between putting it in words and communicating it in a linear way to make sense. And as someone who's the author of seven books, you have mastered this gap. In, in that way. And so what, how would you really um, support our listeners to feel into this gap of conceptual understanding versus like lived experience? Yeah, it is. It's, it's ironic, right? We're on a podcast and what we have is language right now to try to transmit and share the ineffable. And so like when, when you say, you know, that I've kind of mastered that gap, everything in me is like, no, like, <laughs> um, the, there is no words, like every poetry is insufficient for the direct experience. And it's like the first line in the Tao Te Ching that what can be spoken is not the Tao, you know, so we are, that's why it's mystery schools. That's why these are the mystery podcasts. Like we're speaking into something that can't be spoken and Yet, you know, all the pointing at the moon is important because it's the path, it's the journey, it's the moving towards that direct experience. Um, so yeah, I could write a thousand books and still just be approximating, <laughs> um, you know, some, some understandings along the path, but it is a, a vibration and a frequency that's understood in the, uh, you know, in the breath, you know, so right now, as you and I connect and we 
you know, intend to connect to our listeners, um, we know that there's, there's a vibration, there's a frequency beyond time and space where other people are vibrating and that life force energy has its way with us and, and it fluctuates all the time, right? So sometimes we're awake, sometimes we're asleep, sometimes we're hungry, sometimes we're tired, sometimes we're horny, sometimes we're <laughs> totally spent from cosmic orgasms. Um, but that's what the life uh, force does, like, like the tide. It just is in constant motion. Um, and that motion is expanding. There is an awakening happening. Um, and I, I'm, I know, as this is one of the early podcasts that we're doing, that that expansion is pe- more and more people waking up, you know, to their own wholeness, their own um, God force. And that's what the, the sacred marriage is, is realizing that we are God, we are goddess, both. That that's... Um, an experience just as real as it is outside of us. It's inside of us. Yes. So spot on. What I'm learning is that the more personal, the more universal. Mm. And as a writer, you know, when you really bring someone into a story from the first person through a character, it has a real impact. So I'd love to hear your personal journey of pointing to the moon (laughs) on your inner marriage. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, so it's um, it's such a deep truth that our stories, you know, though individual, uh, they're universal. And I had, you know, I'm feeling into which story to share, and I will share with you because it's alive for me. The first, the first um, time I met Babadez, um, who is the co-author of Sacred Sexual Healing. And I had this experience of him and and I will genuinely say that he, uh, although not the first person to introduce the idea of intermarriage to me was the first like embodied um, uh, guide for me. So I, when I saw him, saw immediately like, oh wow, he's got this feminine long hair, like sexy, like, feminine way of being. Um, and when I looked into his eyes, I saw him shape shift. I could see like, a, you know, the flash of this like goddess crone or sometimes a playful little girl. And, and it was very seductive to me to see this like, you know, like tall, he's over six foot, you know, m- man who's at the time, you know, running a, a conference and I, and I saw him in his power, but I could see the feminine in him. And so I found myself irresistibly attracted to that. Um, And then I also know that when later when, you know, talking to him and getting to know him, I'm like, ooh, that's some crazy making. Like that shit's crazy. Because he, you know, he has this experience of having um, in his own intermarriage, like gone through a, like, a etheric pregnancy and, you know, just stuff that blew my mind at the time. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all good, but that shit's crazy. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I share, I share him as a guide because I remember early on um, a lot of the like seeking for who is my own inner masculine 
and then finding a reference point in someone like him who was outside of me. And I was like, wow, that, that masculine who is a tribal leader uh, really resonates with my masculine. And so I did do deeper work, you know, which, um, you know, I'll just point at an exercise that any of the listeners could do. It's, it's like an active imagination where you're feeling in and you're visualizing your ideal masculine. You know, what does that look like? What's that feel like? And for me, you know, in a lot of ways, Des was that early on for me. Um, but you're also meeting with your inner feminine. So it's like a God goddess energy that comes together. And I'm bringing this particular practice up and it's very valuable to have conversations between them, to bring it into like, how do they move? How do they walk? What's, you know, the feeling. But then as I evolved into the practice, it was less about the outer, you know, someone that I know that I idealize, like in the case of the feminine, it was Alice Walker, who's a, who's a poet. And, you know, she's a, um, she's a pagan and she had these, earth mama qualities that I admired. And so I had, you know, these, these two outer figures coming together within me and that's beautiful from the consciousness place. But the more we mature, the more we look down and we say, Oh, but what about the marriage of the wounded masculine and the wounded feminine as well? Cause inside of us, we have, you know, some brokenness and those parts often get left behind in the marriage or disembodied. And then we're, fractured again. And so much of the inner marriage is coming into wholeness. So you don't want to leave out uh, or resist or run away from the parts of us that we don't want to embrace. So in essence, the inner marriage is shadow work. You know, it, whether you're embracing the, the opposite of the gender you're born into, you're still embracing the non-dominant part of you, which is by definition shadow. You know, shadows anything about ourselves that we don't uh, consciously include in our own identity. By the way, <laughs> important, you know, side note, this is not about your sexual identity. This is not about your um, sexual expression or your gender or your, this is really deep, you know, personal growth work that may or may not reveal new flavors and frequencies of your identity and your orientation and your sexual expression, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's so good. Yes. I love the really honoring the wounds and I've heard you actually refer to wounds as your sacred wounds. Mm -hmm. And so what was, what would you say if you could put your finger on one of the biggest wounds you really integrated into your inner marriage? So I was, I wouldn't say a tomboy as much as just a like, um, you know, a very active, alive, curious kid, but I was the only girl in a household with three brothers and, a, you know, Mexican mother. And in Mexico, the culture was very much like the girls stayed in the kitchen and the boys were out running around playing. I wasn't allowed to ride bikes or go skiing or do a lot of those things. And so the, I'm not allowed to turn into like a, a, a feeling of 
um, you know, just, just restriction because of my gender. So I would say there was a genuine gender wounding in, in my um, formative years. And the way that that then, you know, everybody has some kind of um, restriction that turns into or limitation or even a trauma that happened. And then it turns into a story, right? So, so what meaning do you make of that painful traumatic, traumatic event or that pattern in your childhood? And the meaning I made was you just don't understand me um, because my mom uh, was from a Latin culture and I was American and, and American girls were allowed to ride bikes and ski. You know, I didn't understand. She didn't understand. Um, but I really felt misunderstood. And that wound, right. This deep sense of like, she doesn't get me. We had, you know, this cultural clash, not just my mom, but other people then didn't understand what was happening inside of me. Um, as I worked to heal that, as I just, you know, coped with it, I tried to seek to understand other people. It's like, ooh, what is their, what's happening in, under their skin? What are their emotional, you know, restrictions and what's um, happening with them, you know, in their heart? And so what once was a wound turned into a superpower, which is I became extremely empathetic, extremely curious and sensitive and attuned to others. And then, you know, obviously as a, um, a spiritual guide, I'm like coaching and mentoring and working with people. I wouldn't have that superpower if it weren't for that wound. So there is a kind of a healing that happens when we, we go back and we recover and we recognize, wow, the very things that we, that injured us are sometimes cracks into our soul's gifts and what we're here on the planet to do because a big part of what i'm here for is to empathize is to you know to to feel the heart of humanity to compassionate <laughs> yeah yeah and so you know not not directly related to the inner marriage but i would say that when we do embrace the un um, the disowned parts of us, you know, then there's a reclamation that happens and that reclamation can take us to new heights that are even higher than had we been injured. Um, it, you know, there, there are blessings. We go through those portals. Everybody knows that, right? Your, your breakdowns lead to your greatest breakthroughs. Yes. So what would you say is a current um, common misunderstanding that you get about you that you'd like to just address right now? Ooh, that's such a good question. And Ria, I'm so excited for you because I know um, <laughs> as this is our first podcast, I just have to tell you this. Barbara Walters was asked what makes her a great interviewer or, and what's her favorite interview question. And she actually asks everybody she interviews, she's like, this is my favorite question is like, what do people not understand about you? Or what's something that um, people think about you that's not true? You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so here's, here's a deep irony. Um, I struggle to understand myself. And we all do. Humans are fucking complex. <laughs> 
I recognize that there are so many aspects of me, not just the masculine, the feminine, the little, you know, the inner child, the, you know, so I feel like I'm an entire community of beings within one uh, body. And not fully understanding myself gets projected onto anyone that loves me. Like they don't understand me. Um, and it's really just a, because I haven't fully gotten what's going on. So when I get, like if I take time in the morning to do my practice, whether that's jogging or yoga or meditation or tarot, so I do a little centering and then I start the day and I'm like, ah, I'm really dropped in. I get myself. Then I spend a whole day feeling understood. Um, but the day that I am having PMS and a little off and don't know what the fuck is going on, like, you know, my partner's like, hey, how are you? And he could say something. <laughs> oh, I hear you're in a bad mood. And I'm like, ah, he doesn't get me. <laughs> and I'm giving this example a little bit crudely, you know, I'm minimizing it. But I, I do genuinely believe that the thing that people don't understand about me is only that which I don't fully get about me. And ironically, I can't fully get to know me like at the depths, like who we are as humans is incomprehensible. So this pursuit to be understood, I could write all the books I want, I can tell all the stories I want, and I'm never going to be fully understood because no human is. We're all still evolving. Um, and, and that pains me and it creates suffering in my life um, until I accept that, accept that incompleteness, accept that partial understanding, and accept that people understand to the capacity that they have. Um, and I can only understand to the capacity I have and to just be gentle with that. It looks like you can resonate. <laughs> yes, on so many levels. It's so incredible that you have this 20-year marriage with your partner, mm -hmm. with Michael, and that you have a son together, Devin, who's absolutely divine and wonderful. So it's like the three brothers growing up and now being in a house full of boys. Yeah, not only that, we live with Michael's father. So it's like, yes. and, and a boy and a cat named Kabuki. So I've got <laughs> boys all over me again. <laughs> Amazing. And so, and, and what you're referring to just a moment ago are these blind spots, right? There's parts of you that you can't see yourself that get mirrored when others that you love don't understand you. It's a reflection of you're not understanding yourself. So there's this paradox or parallel or something's happening with your external marriage and your inner marriage and like- what's Oh, I love that reflection um, because as we're speaking right now, what occurs to me is, um, you know, so I have all this masculine energy around me. One of the stereotypes about the feminine, and we're talking archetypes, this isn't even me. It's like the feminine is so mysterious, right? This, the feminine is that which we don't understand. And, um, and that core frustration has a lot to do with my, my relationship to my own feminine. And the, the truth is, I think I'm closer to and understand my own masculine better and that part of my own wounding is this, uh, the relationship to the feminine. And I, I want to point this out because as people deepen in their path towards the inner mar marriage, a lot of times if you're in a female body, 
you will think, oh, the inner marriage just means I need to awaken my inner masculine and get to know him. And, and the more I get to know him and embody him, the better relationship I'll have with men in my life. And yes, that's true. It's a partial truth because you equally deeply need to understand the feminine. It, these are primordial forces within us, regardless of what body you have. And we want to develop both. Um, because what will happen is one or the other will be more mature and developed. And, you know, in, in many ways, uh, what throughout my inner marriage, it's the feminine that was most wounded and underdeveloped. You know, I had, and this is, you know, it's easy. Like I had this recognition of a male tribal elder and I do these, these, you know, writing books and, um, and teaching and even directing, like they were male kind of, not male, but I will say masculine archetypical energy will run through me to get shit done. <laughs> and then the feminine would be just the big, the big, you know, question mark. Um, so my inner marriage, although I'm in a female body, had a lot more to do with intimate encounter with the feminine and understanding her. And everybody's path is going to look a little bit different, but it's important to run both currents and truly um, mature, understand, embrace uh, both. Who in the ISTA field, if uh, Des was your masculine representation mm. that you really admire, who is like a feminine representation? This is, and it could be in a male body that you yeah, really so admire. So who comes to mind immediately is Deborah Taj Annapol. So she was in a lot of ways, like my, my shaman mama. She was the first woman to give me a sacred spot and she's no longer with us in this realm, but she was an ISTA lead. And Deborah Taj Annapol was also the, uh, one of the pioneers of the modern polyamory uh, movement. And so I saw her as a, you know, as a true visionary and a, um, she had, it, and this is the feminine, right? Like she used to teach, we'd be in a circle, like a goddess circle and she'd teach topless and she'd have these pendulous, you know, breasts like swaying as she gesticulated with her little, you know, she had like chubby fingers and like, I just saw her and she's a rounder, smaller woman. Like I saw her as such an earth mama and she was also a pagan um, Kali worshiper. And one of the most profound teachings, I will say that she offered me many, many, many teachings. I, I um, recommend her work, but one of the most profound ones was about her relationship to eco-sexuality, which is, you know, running erotic energy with the planet, with the planetary energies. And she blew my mind by taking me away from the concept of mother earth and not just into lover earth, like I got that shift um, deep from um, Annie Sprinkle, but from Mother Earth into, hey, this is a hermaphroditic planet. And as long as we treat her just as Mother Earth, we're going to mistreat her because the feminine on the planet is wounded. This is also Father Earth. And, you know, and, and really started a different kind of listening from me to nature where I started to really see how much the planet provides and protects 
and how present you know he is for me and that completely changed my marriage to the planet great so would you also use the pronoun they and them for the planet oh i love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a that's a great shift Yeah. And it's fun because people have a hard time with the pronoun they, them, assuming that, you know, it is obviously a a shift. I want to empathize. Like it it takes a while to adjust to it, but it's um, grammatically correct. You know, when you don't know who someone is and you say, oh, they left early or they took my umbrella or, you know, we say that about people when we don't know who they, you know, who they are. Um, which kind of leads us back to this thing of humans being incomprehensible. We don't know who they are. Just call them a they. Um, But I did want to say that on the plural singular syntax, um, I feel it more represents the shamanic perspective that we are multiple beings, um, that we're not just singularity. Um, Well, it's, you know, we're, all one on the inside. There is a singularity, but they also encompasses the whole happy family of um, all aspects. And I, yeah, celebrate how shamanically we can shape shift into different different beings that, in different circumstances. Yeah, it's really bringing up for me in the beginning of our conversation, we talked about how much you thought peace was boring. Mm-hmm. Right? And that actually it's much more alive to fulfill certain longings and yearnings and desires. And that it's much more like a a mature way, perhaps if there's a lack of a better word. And what I'm also getting in the pronoun conversation or for the inner marriage is we talk about masculine and feminine and these polarities and the complexities of it. And now we're talking about hermaphroditic planets and really coming in. So there's some kind of parallel here between feeling alive in both the whole spectrum mm-hmm. of the gender and the whole spectrum of longing, yearning and fulfillment and bliss and finding. Yeah, it, it really is a holographic reality. And it's, you know, each of us is not just a hologram of the whole, but our you know, the way we know that now too about brain science, it's like the way that, that the brain is interconnected synaptically, you know, really is, um, is, is so interwoven (laughs) into, into our reality. Um, So without getting too far away from the inner marriage, I will say here's where the hologram applies most relevant. This is the most relevance. When we heal the wound between our masculine and feminine within, then it heals the wound in the outer relationships. So, you know, everything that we've talked about can sound like esoteric personal growth, but if you're suffering in any area of relating, whether it's your communication with your partner or not finding the right mate or having a, you know, a, a pattern that reoccurs in your relationships. If you do this intermarriage work um, and you heal that within, then the instantaneous effects will be felt in your outer relationship. Brilliant. 
Yes. And so on that note, I'd love to just fire some hot questions for you and just see what answers pop up. And Hit me. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what are you reading right now? I'm reading, oh God, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a book about privilege, you know, with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. I'm really wanting to look and inquire deeper into where, what my blind spots are around um, my privilege. Yeah. Is it the white fragility? No, but I've been recommended that book. Okay. Yes. Great. Cool. Yeah, great. And so what has been like the single most impactful thing in your spiritual journey? Woo, that's a big question. <laughs> um, it's a big question because I, you know, I look at having various awakenings in my life and it's a little bit like a shuttle launch, you know, like, ooh, this booster set off and then it launched to this level and then it launched to that level. And You know, when I really allow myself to be in the moment, and I mean, I have nectarines in the backyard growing off my own, you know, tree that I planted. And it's like when I bite into the nectarine and I feel the sensuality of that and I'm present for that, I, I have these like crystal moments of like, there is no great, you know, experience beyond this moment <laughs> that I, you know, I'm like waiting for something bigger and it's like, it's here now. Um, and so, you know, truly the most impactful awakening happens when I drop in through the doorway of, you know, this moment, cause that's where this physical body and all of the different dimensions are most concentrated are, you know, in the now. If you were a piece of furniture, what would you be? Ooh, <laughs> that's fun. That's really fun. Um, I am struggling to think of something less cliche than a bed. <laughs> uh, maybe a piano. Does that count as furniture? I mean, it really is like the biggest thing in the room right now. Um, and I do think about like, you know, the, the different frequencies and all, and the whole, um, scale. And that feels, yeah. Like where these, you know, we are each these channels and we play these different like notes and tunes and life is like this big orchestra. So it feels like I'd be a musical instrument. <laughs> Spot on. It's the last question in just a few words. Like what does freedom mean to you? Ooh, what a, Beautiful question. <sighs> Freedom is a state and it's a state of not just mind, um, but it's no mind. It's a state of not believing our thoughts, you know, not being contained or defined by um, the interpretations and meanings, because we know that those are often conditioned and partial perspectives and freedom is being, is knowing oneself beyond, uh, the conditions of the mind. 
so powerful. And so there were so many more questions that were asked about jealousy, navigating it, about bondage and kink. <laughs> and what I found really interesting were questions about parenting in a polyamorous marriage and around sexual education with young ones. And so we're out of time for this episode, but this means we just have to have you back on. That sounds great, Rhea. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kamala Devi, for your time, for your wisdom, for your laughter. My pleasure. And if anyone wants to hit me with more questions, you can go to kamaladevi.com and find me there. Perfect. Thank you so, so, so much. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Sexual Shamanic Podcast. To find out more about ISTA's retreats, online festivals, or to work with our faculty, see our website, ista.life, or find us on Facebook at ista.life and on Instagram at ista underscore tribe.